now I want to take a time to talk about um, my show sponsor, which is Live to Fight Design. Uh, if you checked out the episode with Sean Clemens, he's the owner of uh, Live to Fight Design. And uh, what he makes is uh, banners, fight banners for fighters and also gyms, fight gyms. And uh, I have a promo code with Live to Fight Design, which is Todd Atkins, my first name, T-O-D-D. Last name Atkins, A-T-K-I-N-S, all together. So if you use my promo code, you get $20 off your order. And, uh, yeah, you can uh, get a pretty good banner made for yourself. High quality and uh, ships them out pretty fast. So, you know, I appreciate him. Take He's the first guy who's taking interest in sponsoring this show. And uh, I'm proud to have someone who's involved in the fight game rather than someone who's not sponsoring the show. So check out live to fight design so live and then the number two so live to fight design on instagram that's where you could contact sean clemens if you have interest in purchasing a banner from him and if you use my promo code you get 20 dollars off the order so please support uh, live to fight design and hope you enjoy this episode This is Todd Atkins with Miguel Adorade from the MMA Museum MMA Collector um, Project. And we're going to be doing another uh, MMA Conspiracy Hour here. Kind of short notice, Conor McGregor appeared at Bare Knuckle FC. This is kind of unexpected. And they I'll, I will say they did a great job hiding it because I, I know people involved with Bare Knuckle FC who told me they had no clue this was going to happen until he just showed up. So they did a great job with that. And as always, check out the sponsor album behind me. We're sponsored by Live to Fight Design. You can see my promo code up there. And if you order a banner from them, fight banner, gym banner, you get $20 off at Live to Fight Design on Instagram. And Miguel, I kind of wanted to uh, let you kind of open and talk about, again, for people who don't know who Miguel is, you know, he's match made for hundreds of shows with both Hook and Shoot and Bow Dog Fight. And, you know, he's been around promotions for two decades you know since the beginning of the sport to see someone like conor mcgregor show up there's no way ufc would have signed off on this there's only one scenario where they would have and if um we're about to get step two and you know future step three and four of the merger with the wwe and that is you know we had uh speculated that they might Look for a, bo a boxing entity next, you know, top rank and uh, match room were the ones that we mentioned and how that would be another billion dollar deal and basically lock up combat sports for him. BKFC is an upstart company, but I got to say, you know, they did a main event with a bunch of UFC guys. And the fact that they're getting UFC guys to do that means the rule set's compelling. The athletes, there are a segment of athletes that want to prove themselves uh, under that. So... If the UFCs decide to buy them, then logically you might get, you know, a Connor appearance as a drive-by at the very beginning to, you know, wet the wet the appetite. But if they're not buying it, then this is a a contract breach probably on uh, uh, McGregor's part. The, the bottom line is is McGregor's got the juice over the last few years to loosen up some of the restrictions on the UFC contract, and he may get away with something like this. But the UFC is very harsh on this type of part of the contract, which is, you know, they prevented Randy Couture from cornering his own son 
at a rival show because he wanted him associated nowhere near Bellator. And Bellator is really, you know, Bellator is firmly B-class. And the thing about BKFC is BKFC is the A-class BKFC show. So they're a little bit more of a threat. They're a little bit more, you know, I wouldn't want my guys associated with them. So McGregor may have, you know, gone off the rails and said, yeah, you know, I love I love the rawness of it. I'm going to go, and then that's it. I, no one tells McGregor what to do. And I think that could be very well what, what happened here, is that he, you know, they're in Denver. It's not that far from Vegas. But that could be a costly mistake for him if he went off the reservation on his own here. No, the UFC could go so far as cutting him and suing him. Back in uh, 1997, 1998, um, we had just seen UFC 15 or 16, and Mark Kerr won a four-man tournament, knocked out Ranger Stott, beat Dwayne Kaysen. Not huge names, but everybody had finally seen Kerr. And everybody was like, oh, my God, right? So now Kerr starts to negotiate with Pride, Pride 2. Kerr was sued by the UFC at that point. This is Bob Meyerowitz's era. But when they take their biggest draw at that point, or the guy that they're earmarking for their biggest draw, they sued and tried to prevent them from appearing in Pride. And the exact word of the lawsuit, the exact wording of the lawsuit was, that they could not put a value on what Pride was taking from them because they, they, there was so much upside in Kerr as an athlete. You know, when you look at the resources involved in 1997, 1998 compared to McGregor's, you know, not being able to put a value on it becomes very complicated in 2023, right? Because it's like, how do you put a value on it now with McGregor and everything he's worth in, in terms of like his social media and stuff? He's everywhere. And he's associated with the UFC brand. And now he gave all that juice to somebody else. And did he do it by mistake? Yeah, I think I think you, you can't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I think McGregor is definitely a guy that has gotten to that level where he really drinks up that, you know, I've got fuck you money and you can't tell me what to do. I think that's the number one aspect of his social media persona is that, he he to nobody. So he, he just showed up without asking. If he had asked his UFC handlers, he probably would have been told no. So who knows? You know, uh, either the UFC's buying it or kind of screwed up. What do you think the likelihood is that UFC's buying it? There haven't been many hints of it. So, you know, it's just basically it's one of the scenarios that could play out with Connor being there. Um, you know, Feldman looks like he's been in kind of in for the long haul for him to cash in now would kind of be cheap. You know what I mean? He's put a lot of groundwork in. So I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I do. If I, if I were a betting man, I, I would opt for that. Connor with his, you know, nobody tells me what to do. Not USADA, not the UFC, nobody. Yeah. You know, two guys he's beaten are in a major bare knuckle fight. He's an Irish guy that, you know, boxing and bare knuckle stuff. I don't want, you know, in their blood, you know, I mean, he likes it. There's no doubt that it's edgy. You know what I mean? And I think he just showed up on his own. He wanted to be there. Want to see, you know, he, it looks like he was rooting for Eddie Alvarez over Chad. 
Mendez, you know? So all that's very interesting stuff. And I think he likes the attention. I think he saw that the show was going to get attention. Who knows what his motivation was for showing up? But I don't think he called the UFC and was like, hey, can I have permission? That's not in his makeup, right? So. Yeah, but, you know, now that you mention it, like, BKFC's had a hard time holding on to guys. And most of these guys that appeared last night are one-offs. Luke has already said he's basically done. Alvarez and Mendez, they were kind of hinting that this was... Mendez, I think he said it was his final fight. Alvarez yep. was kind of on the fence. And then you had Perry, who... It was the last fight on his deal. I would assume they'd try to sign him again. But, you know, maybe Dave Felton's feeling like maybe it's not... The juice isn't worth the squeeze, you know, because he can't keep anybody. As you mentioned this before in one of our other shows, a lot of these guys are one-offs. You know, it's a Feldman strategy. Feldman's still a marginal player in this. You know, at some point he's been able to, you know, there, there are several fighters. I think Rockhold was one of them, the most recent, that said, you know, they got paid well beyond what they were being paid in the UFC. So that makes him a player. But at the end of the day, you don't really have a roster over there where you can say, you know, I could see spending the next three to five years here and, and hashing out 10, 12, 15 fights, really developing a career. That's a little bit harder to do in, in BKFC. It's a little bit more attritive too, you know, but you had guys like Tiago Alves and guys like that, that, you know, were signed. They were big splashy signings and then they never came back. And so I think they, they try to get guys that, that are going to be flashy signings. I don't think that they've got the full roster or the schedule, you know, at the end of the day, they still run, you know, once a month or, you know, whatever it is, they don't have the schedule to keep, you know, a real fight roster busy. So they're, they're, they're a marginal player. Um, the rules make it interesting, enticing, and potentially if you got higher level guys over there, like I, like I, I, you know, if Nganu were to have fought Tyson Fury under bare knuckle rules, I think that's probably the biggest bang for the buck. You know, that's much more intriguing to me as a, sports purist than watching Nganu cross over to Marquise Queensberry rules. Just, you know, bare knuckles kind of meeting in the middle. Yeah, and I think that's why I don't think UFC is buying it, because I think they would feel like, for now at least, where is the long game? There might yeah. be one later, but like you mentioned, for now it doesn't seem like there's one for fighters at least where they don't look at it as a career because i think most guys still think it's maybe more brutal than mma you know yep. it's more yep. cosmetically brutal people are going there to cash in you know feldman's been throwing a little bit of money around you know mendez is on his second fight or you know whatever so they're, they're making good money you don't get chad motivated at the end of his career you know going back to making you know 12 and 12 it's just you know logical you know alvarez too guys that have been to the top in order for them to say yeah i'm gonna come in and i give both both guys both of those guys credit they came in looking sharp and and they took the fight seriously so it looked it, it looked fun yeah that's one thing i i wanted to mention i think fans you know like the casual fans who recognize certain people from the ufc but when they see them fight in bare knuckle they've never seen them in a fight a war like that you know mendez and and alvarez look they look pretty worked over by the end of that fight you know at the press conference 
And that is something that, that is unique to bare knuckle. I think, you know, when you see guys in there, you're really seeing them in a, in a pretty hardcore fight. You know, at the end of the day, that's why I wouldn't 100% rule out the UFC buying them. In boxing, you know, at the turn of the last century in the 1900s, the um, world championship fights were 45 rounds. Try to get your arms around that. You know, then they knocked them down to 15. At some point, 15 was considered a little bit of a trigger, you know, you 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 watch Muhammad Ali and Frazier fight 15 and, and you get to the point where it's like these guys are close to death. But now because of conditioning, a 12-round fight, you, you see a lot of elite 12-rounders where the guys are at the end of the fight not really spent. And I think you're starting to see that in MMA where the conditioning and things and and the techniques and stuff lead to stalemates, especially in UFC where, you know, they have over 60% of their fights go to a decision. So how do you figure out a situation like, you know, Figueredo and Ortega? Let's, let's do them in a different format. Let's do them five rounds, bare knuckle, and see how it goes. You know, it, it, it really is an option for an advanced league, you know, of, of to test the people. Another option would be have one 30-minute round, and let's see how that goes. Because if it changes the fight drastically, it, it will no longer be the pure MMA fight that you see. I think Bare Knuckle has that potential to be, like, the elite ground for for the top, top-notch guys to, to hash it out and decide for themselves. Yeah, and Eddie Alvarez was saying. Imagine they did McGregor and Perry. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez was saying he thinks that it's going to, you know, that this, and I know he's fighting in the organization, so people will say that stuff, but he's on the way out, probably. No, and he was saying him. he thinks this is the future because it's a 10-minute fight, five two-minute rounds. And he said it's so much better than having to fight five minutes. You know? It, 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 look, guys like Eddie Alvarez, Chris Lytle is another one. He's their announcer. And uh, he's a good friend of mine, you know, an MMA, you know, uh, pioneer and whatever you want to call it. Elite. He was as elite as they come without having a world championship, you know, UFC title. And at the end of their career, you know, man, are you? how old are you, Todd? I will be 47 Saturday. Okay, well, God bless you. <laughs> And happy birthday. I'm glad I asked. That wasn't even a setup. That was a spontaneous yeah. here. But uh, but the bottom line is this is, hey, don't you have your bad days? And sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. Yeah, all the you time. Know, imagine these guys who have been their whole mat, you know, so now they're 44 years old or whatever. And they spent two hours, you know, going over guard passes and shit. How hard is it to even get up? Right. You know what I mean? It's like the groundwork is really Mm -hmm. very trying on a day-to-day -day basis. And when you limit it, and then, uh, you know, yeah, kicking and knees and things in the MMA faction, bare knuckle makes it very basic for guys like Eddie Alvarez and guys who have been to the top of the MMA game. Prepare your hands, you know? A little footwork, prepare your hands. Get, you know, tighten up your clinch a little bit, 
technique, the, the wide variety of technique, the need to prepare it at a level on the ground is, is very hard on the body as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they avoid all that. So that's why I think that you can find guys that say, okay, we'll, we'll call it the ultimate test because, you know, I don't think, I, I think one of the things that will be noticeable in the future, you know, as bare knuckle develops and stuff is if you ever get a Donald Cerrone, you know, in bare knuckle, because it really is a little bit more attritive. It literally, it really is a little bit more tough on the body in terms of the short-term injuries and things. You don't want to be all scarred up and bloodied. And, and then, you know, at the end of the day, if you're giving your all and you're giving your all, you know, those types of things are taxing. How do you give your all again and again and again and again? So I, I don't think you're going to find bare knuckle guys. You know, Luis Palomino may prove me wrong. You know, he's older and he may not be the right guy. But if he had started at the right time, Palomino may do 50 of these. You know, there are guys that are are, are brutally tough and, and there will be an elite in the bare knuckle. But I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still in the uh, beginning stages of it. I do see it as a sport, though. Because Lorenzo Hunt. Lorenzo Hunt's yes. done quite a few. You know, and, and uh, you know, even even though he lost the belt, Arnold Adams. This, this is a guy. These are guys that find this to be their sport. But I don't, I, I think... I think if you see, yeah, I, I think it'll be very difficult and it'll be a very interesting journey to see one of them get to that 50 fight club where it's like, all right, you know, Chris Lytle already fought 50 times in MMA, you know, Pancrase and this and that and the other thing. It's like you get to 50 bare knuckle fights, you know, and, and you're not a puddle. <laughs> You've done something unbelievable. You know what I mean? But, but But that's what makes it very different. So that's why I think it could be presented as you know, we're in MMA rules and nothing's getting decided. They fought four times already, you know. Take it to a different level. Yeah, it's almost like a, a conspiracy just came out of this discussion, you know. Maybe the UFC's I, buying bare knuckle. That would be stupid. the only they're intelligent thing that yeah, Conor McGregor exactly. did here because if he didn't, he could be in hot water for sure. Yeah, and here's the, that's the thing is is when you look at it like we do as a sport, I'm trying to draw lines here between the sports and stuff, and accepting a fact that I don't really like, which is that there's going to be intermixing and things, and you get the Jake Pauls in there and and that sort of stuff. That's the landscape we we're involved in. That's the 21st century, you know. But uh, when when you when it comes to bare knuckle, I think that bare knuckle is not. You know, they have a league, they have guys, they have guys like that. But if they get elite people to try it, I think it becomes something that people are going to say, oh, you know, Tyson Fury. That I think there's the perfect high level example. Tyson Fury against Francis Ngannou is a much more compelling bare knuckle fight than it is a Queensberry rules fight. Right. Let me ask you about this. Lorenzo Fertitta is apparently involved in a skateboard league now. And Dana White was actually tweeting about this during UFC's event Saturday. Go ahead. You know, uh, here's the thing is, for the last 20 years, the UFC, Fertitas, and these guys, they've gotten a buy with, with the uh, ultimate question is, is, you know, whatever they do, they're successful monetarily and they love the sport. 
And I think that that's becoming more and more they, they're successful monetarily and the love of the sport's not there anymore. And I think that's a big problem in terms of, like a lot of these things, the slap fight I think is a complete miss. And then you compare them to one FC who's going to do their first American show after doing several hundred shows in Asia. And I have to admit, back in the day when one FC started, I said arrogantly, you know, on a podcast like this, I said, let's see him do 20 shows. You know, there's a threshold there, but they've done that. And now they're coming here and now they're in the U.S. for their first show ever. And what are they presenting? They're presenting Demetrius Johnson, arguably the number one pound for pound guy ever, arguably, against his nemesis, a guy he's one and one against. They're bringing us Rotang, the Muay Thai god, against a solid Mexican kid who trains at altitude and Rotang is from Thailand where it's no altitude and they're fighting in Denver. So it's a compelling match. And then they've got Ty Rotolo on the grappling end and Gordon Ryan on the grappling end that we've talked about. They've never used Gordon Ryan, but the, the Rotolo brothers, Mike Musimeki and those guys are giving us a highlight grappling league. And the UFC has turned to slap fight. So I would argue that one clearly, clearly loves the sport much more. Yeah. And that Dana loves his wallet much more. And after 20 years of getting away with that, if that becomes clearer and clearer the way it is, then, you know, that could have a chipping away effect at, the, at their power. You know, one one is more dangerous because, you know, with, with Hume there and with the guys that are there on the philosophy end, they're way ahead of the UFC. Dana's philosophy is make money at this point. Yeah, I think Gordon Ryan's uh, contract ran out with him is what it was. Since I, I did some research since our last show. That doesn't mean he couldn't come back. But that's why he was never used. Keep in mind, he got a $100,000 <laughs> bonus and never fought. Right. Why would why would one do that? To keep him around. To, yeah. to make the, you know, if the UFC were to make an offer, they don't have that history of taking care of him. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, I that was just me, you know, fantasizing about Ngannou and Ryan. But the bottom line is, is if you have to name the top five people on the planet you would want to see Ngannou fight, if Gordon Ryan isn't one of those top five, I'd be very surprised. Because, like I said, anonymous Russian champions or the heavyweight champion of PFL or, or you know, whoever Bellator has there, not the same. Gordon Ryan is is a little bit of a different spin because of the grappling thing. And again, the grappling, nurturing the grappling is what one is doing. And that's why, you know, I think, you know, that the, the UFC is way off on some of this stuff, you know. So are they looking at this for BKFC that way? If they were one and they had that type of, you know, forward thinking. But no, at this point, I see them just pressing for money and doubling down on, on their stupid stuff like slap fight. So... And, and skateboarding, you know, more power to you. You know, one is involved in movies. You know, they, they do, you know, those Asian action movies and stuff like that with some of their fighters involved. Like, you know, we saw, we all saw movies in the old days, you know, 10 years ago with Chuck Liddell in them. And, you know, guys like that, you know, filling in roles and things like that. One's all over that with their guys in Asia, you know? 
I don't. I, I think one is very multi-dimensional, and we'll see how how they they adapt to the American market. I I don't think they've done a great job soliciting you know attention for the first fight ever, but you know, but there are there are dangerous themes that they have there, much more dangerous than PFL and Bellator. So we'll we'll see what they do because they what the, what it does is it illustrates the problems with the UFC's approach. I want you to elaborate on that a little bit because not everyone knows Matt Hume. Not everyone knows Chatri, you know, the average person. But your point that the people behind one are much more passionate about martial arts. Maybe Dana and Lorenzo were when they first discovered MMA. They were into it just like all of us. You know, it was something new. But now Lorenzo's gone and Dana seems kind of checked out. You're right. The people behind one are very, this is kind of like Bjorn Rebney when he was in charge of Bellator. This is their baby. I don't think UFC, I mean, yeah, Dana, it was his baby at one point, but I, I agree with you. I don't think he looks at it that way anymore. Yeah, no, I don't think one is dangerous to them in the immediate future. Like in the next three years, we're not going to be like, one just wiped them out and we're all watching one and no UFC. That ain't happening in two, three years. But in 20 years, they could be bigger because at the end of the day, the, the purity of the fight's that they bring, um, they can back up with philosophy and talk. You know what, Matt? Matt's not for everybody, Matt, and that may be why he's not Dana because Dana, at the end of the day, is proven to be, you know, a uh, social media star too. You know what I mean? Harsh or whatever. You know, Hume's not that guy. Hume's more of a behind-the-scenes guy, but Hume will out-philosophize on fighting and the importance of the purity and the fight game and martial arts and stuff, they are so far ahead of the UFC on those basic points that they're a threat. Bellator is not. PFL is not. But on the long, like I said, in 30 years, one could still win this game if they play it right and they got sustained. It's an excellent point, you know, because I don't, even I don't think I've thought of that. I know you brought it up last show, but... You're right. Bellator's run by a business guy, you know. He does have a martial arts background. Don't get me wrong. He's he was involved in like taekwondo and karate. Uh, he did kickboxing in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, look, Coker Coker's a known quantity at this point. He's been around for so long. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden it's like we're gonna be wowed by one of his ideas or something he's gonna come up with is gonna really change the game. After 30 years, you know, ain't happening. And the bottom line is is um, you know. I think he's been content to run second. And again, I fall back on the same point. Bellator is owned by Viacom, if that's still the situation. If not, they're still answerable to whatever TV distribution contract they're at. And that belongs to one company. So they're on this channel. And they will have certain slots that they can show that on. And sometimes, you know, like if they were on AMC... And they were like, well, we want to run every Tuesday. And they're like, well, you know, well, well Tuesday's the Walking Dead day. You're you're in trouble. You know, Dana doesn't have to deal with any of that. They don't just be like, all right, I'll go to ESPN to show my fights. I'll go to Fox to show my fights. Fox Sports, not the same. So, yeah, Bellator is just a marginal place there. And, and the other part of it is, you know, when you listen to the fighters, You name one guy who's been impressed going from the UFC to Bellator. Give me one. Yeah, that's true. 
You know, they go there and say, and they all say the same thing. I got paid more. And that's it. Not my career shot up, not, you know, I got paid more. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to think back because one FC, like you said, it's run by people that love martial arts, that live martial arts. So that is something that's very interesting to look look at long term or longer term because it's not like one has been around for only a minute. They've been around for a while. But no, to see how that can play against the UFC in this American market. It isn't going to be easy. You know, and Dana, Dana right now is probably at the point where they aren't on his radar in terms of a real threat yet. Because I don't think he's looking at that 20, 30 year threat. I think he looks at the immediate, I will smash them in the, in, in the short term. And, you know, that's not the game I think one's playing, or I hope one's not playing. But the, but he's not worried, you know. Again, with the W, like I said, with the WWE involved, that's the question is, is any of this enough to affect Vince McMahon, where he goes, holy let me call somebody. What are we going to do? No, no, they're, they're way too big. And that's why they might buy BKFC. They might buy Matchroom Boxing. They might buy Top Rank. If any of those things happen, they're locking up combat sports. And I think that's kind of what, what they have in mind in terms of philosophy, whereas Hume is actually, and one are actually more interested in, in the primordial question, which is, who's the best fighter in the world? Yeah, it's an interesting. Like to say, the best fighter in the world is my guy. Yeah. You know what? That may not always be the case. And that that's the thing is he's too used to that power. But I think the philosophy there is just make money at this point. So the UFC, the UFC's changed. They're too big for guys like PFL and, and those guys to pursue them. It's, that's beneath their notice. But who knows? The the Connor at BKFC opened up this whole discussion for us. And it may yeah. just be that he got drunk and decided I'm going to go see fights. <laughs> yeah. That's going to open up a whole can of worms if you're right. No, the end of the day is, is if that was not Connor, the UFC would probably cut the fighter and sue them. So we'll see how they react. They may not have the power to do that if Connor's been on top of his game and gotten that out of his contract in negotiations. Very hard to do. But money talks and he draws money, so maybe he got some exceptions and stuff. Well, we won't know all that, but we'll see. You know, but the UFC cannot be happy that he showed up there. But at the end of the day, they can't be happy that he yelled at USADA over the drug testing. You know, it's like, no, I, I don't want to follow drug testing rules. It's like, you can't look good saying that. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so... Yeah, Connor may be at the very edge of his, of his uh, ego. You know what I mean? His ego's there. And if his ego at this point, it's like a, very hard to motivate and get out once you've made that $100 million, you know? He doesn't need money for anything. So the fighting's just become ego and stuff. And then they give him, you know, hurdles to jump. He doesn't want to do it. I could see him at this point almost potentially never fighting again. Yeah, do do you think Berna, if if this wasn't some core, if this wasn't some combined thing with UC and BKFC, do you think Bare Knuckle paid him to be there? I would assume they did. No, no, I don't. No? Really? No, because 
you know, what do you have to pay a guy who has everything? And 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 he would, and that at that point, a bookkeeper, somebody smart, should say, "Hmm, yeah, you might be making some income there, but that's against your UFC contract." No, I think this has the feel of more. It's a good fight. Give a Feldman credit. You know, you have two ex Connor opponents. They've never really talked, thrown the McGregor name around there. So he, you, you, you're like, hey, you know, Feldman's in in the in the booth watching TV production, you know, stressing out like he always does. Someone else comes in and goes, Conor McGregor's trying to get in the building. Fuck yeah, let him in. You know, Feldman and BKFC are the number one beneficiaries of this. So if the UFC is buying them, their price just went up because it was successful. And if not, then all the benefit goes to them for hosting and being that. Now the UFC is going to play big, big and bad. They're going to be like, "Hey, we we're just hosting fights." So yeah, of course you let him in and let him do whatever he wants. I, I would have even given him um, what are those, like a hand truck to throw through a bus window. It's like, hey, you know, here, take a hand truck, throw, it, do what you got to do, make some noise. If I were Feldman, because McGregor is still. At this point, you know, I think he's a little bit, you know, past his due date, but he's still the biggest draw in the sport. Yeah, but bringing him in into your into your squared circle with his belt, with the BKFC belt thrown over his shoulder, that makes noise, does it not? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, Connor, uh, he was chugging prop, proper 12 at some point there. Maybe he wasn't thinking too straight. But like I said, I you know, the other part of it is, in the past, you know, Conor McGregor is really made for BKFC. He really is. You know, the Irish aspect, the the the, the Irish English, their culture accepts that stand up and punch yourself in the face a lot more. You know, it, they 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 hash things out amongst themselves with with that more than lawyers. You know, so. Um, I think that they, they respect that a little bit, you know, the, and, and McGregor, I think if I were McGregor's PR person and McGregor said to me, how can we do one more Mayweather thing? And I'm talking about a nine figure thing. The only real path to that for me would be through BKFC rules something edgy enough to attract more people than you did last time. And I think that that, that, that role set presents that even for McGregor. So it's a very interesting uh, appearance. It very, it very well. Here's the thing is, is everybody were, you know, we were all hippies and everybody were, you know, holding hands and skipping in, in, in the grass and stuff like that. And Dana's like, sure, you know, use my guy. Let's make it bigger. You know, if that was Dana, We'd be in great shape, but it, we know they're not. So we're trying to figure out how this is going to play out. But I think it, this was great for getting attention. Now, before we go, why don't you give us an update on what's going on with the MMA collector and, you know, MMA museum stuff that you're doing? Well, you know, uh, if you can give us a visit on, on our YouTube channel and, you know, it's in the ground phases. Uh, we were just in Florida and, uh, you know, networking and doing some things, we may be able to do a uh, pop-up museum 
in uh, the October timeframe in terms of, um, you know, for the 30th anniversary of MMA and the UFC and stuff. And, you know, it, we look at it beyond the UFC. So we've been gathering information about, you know, the real roots of MMA, you know, because what were the 1980s? You know, the 1980s were not a defunct, like nobody cared about it. There were guys that were considered tough and things like that. They just didn't have the UFC as a or MMA type of uh, sport as a outlet, you know? So you, you had, there was more speculation and more guessing and stuff. But Japan, Brazil, the U, uh, the Americas, the US, they were, um, they were all like little uh, Petri dishes with, with stuff growing up in the 80s. So, um, you know, we're, we're analyzing the history and trying to document it beyond the UFC because I think the UFC will do a great job with their stuff. I think they're going to let, let everybody else out in the cold, and I think that's the, the real crime to it. I think they'd actually be bigger if they accepted that there was so much going on and they've consolidated. But if not, they you know, what they want to do is whitewash and stuff, and that's just really not acceptable. There are, uh, you know, a lot of people have paid a lot of dues for everybody to get to where they were. And that's what the MMA collector is about. So thanks for the prop. Where do you think you would do it in Florida? Oh, uh, there's a casino available. The hard rock, you know, what it, whichever one that just depends on how much space and what we're going to show and what, you know, what the angle is and, and things like that. But that's it. That may be in the works for October. Yeah. I mean, that'd be awesome because Florida's hot right now for MMA and fighting and all that. Yeah, I just spent the weekend at ATT. I, I, I dropped by the ATT school, uh, caught up with some of the old friends. And uh, like I mentioned last podcast, Mike Brown, you know, renowned trainer, WEC groundbreaking champion. And, uh, you know, one of the best little guys, you know, from back in the day. He listens to the MMA conspiracy podcast, you know, so um, it was good to be down there and, and see some of the old guys, some of the old, you know, I saw Dan again, Dan Lambert. And, uh, you know, Dan still loves the sport, you know. I saw more belts in that school than I've seen anywhere in one place at one time. <laughs> so, you know, as, as a collector and as a memorabilia person, a history person, um, you know, ATT in, in South Florida is still a, you know, a ground zero type of thing. Yeah, and that, you know, if you're able to do that, it'd probably blow up your whole MMA collector thing overnight. You know, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not I'm not too worried about, you know, instant recognition or anything like that. It's never been about that. I think it's about laying out the job correctly. And I think the history and, um, you know, we run the risk that the history is going to be written by the UFC and then it won't be correctly done. Yep. Well, it won't hurt. That's for sure to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Miguel, as always, I appreciate taking time to do this. You always have great insight and you came up with a new kind of angled all this you know we didn't talk about this beforehand for anyone listening you know he just kind of came up with this and yeah the whole bkfc ufc thing that's something to look out for so you know, bkfc yeah. could have been marginalized already and they haven't and you know what in you know when john l sullivan did his last bkfc fight in the 1880s and they switched the gloves and stuff it never died you know, there were people doing it in garages and, you know, whatever. And in the 50s, there are videos of, of this type of... Bare Knuckles got that sport sense of continuity that you have to respect. It's not slap fight. You know, to to um, 
compare bare knuckle to slap fight is really um, showing ignorance in terms of what really is a sport. Is it a sport? Yes. Is it edgy? Is it for everyone? No. You know, it is edgy. It's not for everyone. You, you'll get guys like, for example, Drew Fickett. You can't get much tougher in MMA than Drew Fickett. 80 fights, you know, a maniac. But Drew Fickett plays the violin. He's like, I ain't doing bare knuckle, man. <laughs> I can't mess up my fingers. It's not for everybody. But that edginess is what could carry it to be valuable. And I think, you know, I the thing is, is I, I don't trust the UFC management anymore to have that clarity of vision anymore. I think that they're too lost on, on looking for money. The slap fight's a horrendous example of that that we've very publicly seen. So I, you know, I think this plays out as another mistake and another um, spot where they've been losing kind of control over the tightness of their ship. And uh, that's, I think, what it is that we're looking at here. If not, they're buying the thing. Well, that's a great thing to leave it on. And as always, Miguel, it's always great to talk to you. And for everybody that was the MMA Conspiracy Hour, until next episode, take care. Now, as always, I want to thank people for taking the time to listen to these shows. And uh, please check out my YouTube channel, which is Todd Atkins Show. Please subscribe to that if you want to get the newest episodes uh, kind of on time. I usually release these episodes, you know, here and there in the days after I do them. But if you want to see them, you know, that day, basically, you would uh, go to my YouTube channel. And uh, just please subscribe. Uh, supports me and uh, share this podcast if you like it. Share it with some other people. And uh, as always, I'm going to keep putting out more episodes for you. And uh, until the next time, appreciate it. Take care.